Hello, 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 everybody, all of you beautiful people. Welcome to my very first episode of Transmute Your Pain Into Power podcast. I am super grateful and excited to be here today to be able to dive deep pretty much into the pains that people like to keep hidden and just throw it all out there for the world to see because you know what why not once it's out there it can't be held over you anymore or be stuck inside anymore so i just want to thank everybody for joining me and i want to let you know that on this episode i will dive deep real deep into the great unknown that is right we are going to be talking about the beginning of life you guessed it, childhood trauma and the effects it can have on your future. I will be talking all things childhood trauma as it has pertained to my own life and how from childhood on set me on a real journey over the next 20 years into a cutting disorder, issues with food, addictions of all kinds, PTSD, and different cycles of abuse, that even being self-abuse but how I sought out all things external, thinking it would somehow help the internal turmoil that had laid dormant within for so long. Inevitably, like all things though, being found in this manner did not last long, but I will say it sent me into a deep journey of self-discovery and in unraveling that self-discovery, I have found my way to purpose. This purpose has led me here in this very moment with a podcast set to helping others to better understand maybe their own journey to self-discovery and purpose. Even if I can reach just one person and help them feel like they weren't alone in in my experiences, that they might have experienced anything relatable as well, to just wanting to let it out feel free to contact me. I'd love to have you on the show because this is a safe space where you can share the deepest, darkest depths of your soul that is possibly keeping you from moving forward in your life. Because once you do, we can then utilize some tools on helping you to be able to move forward and to become your best self. Now, that in of itself has set a fire under me under my ass to help other seekers take their traumas and transmute their pain into purpose. Now, I'd like to begin with introducing myself to everybody. My name is Nicole Lynn, and I am a divorce, a proud mother of two boys that I have birthed, Shaden 14 and Uriah 10, with two also as equally amazing blended children, Kaylee 16 and Alex 19. I am engaged and will be getting married this year on May 22nd, 2022. And um, let me not forget to mention that I'm also a blended birdie to a grandson, Cashel, who is four months old. Yes, birdie is the name that I would like him to call me and not grandma because I'm still young yet. I'm only 37. So this all couldn't possibly be done without the love of my every lifetime, my fiance, Brian. We reside in beautiful Southwest Michigan. We currently have four Pomeranian Chihuahuas. They're mixed Hellions. They drive me nuts, but I love them. Um, We have Sasha, Tonto, Legend, and Little Missy Mouse, all equaling up to about 25 pounds total out of the four dogs. 
I live my life empowering myself and those around me by peeling back the layers to freeing your soul. So back to me. This is going to get deep and dark real quick, but I know in sharing my story, this will not only continue to clear the way on my own journey, but help those around me to do the same. I was originally born and raised in Connecticut, and not the Connecticut a lot of people know about, like Greenwich area. Rather, drop down to the bottom of Connecticut, where East Haven is, and we call it Staven. I grew up talking like this, sounding angry and about to have a heart attack all the time because this is just how we all conversated with each other. This is just how we commuted. But if you go up to the top of Connecticut, where the Greenwich areas are and whatnot, People don't really talk like that. They talk kind of more like this. So it's very interesting to see such a small state have such a difference in the way that they speak. But anyways, um, I just wanted to explain, you know, just how the area was. Um, I was born in Yale New Haven Hospital in New Haven. My mother worked three jobs to support me and my sister in an area where, let's just say, you couldn't walk it alone at that time. She worked her butt off to move us up to an apartment in East Haven, which is literally the next town over, but still better than where we started. And she was so proud. I swear, she was always the most bubbly, happy, go-getter person. And she always accepted everybody where they were at. And to this day, I could say a lot of those things that she has, I definitely have embodied in my life. Um, so, you know, unfortunately when I was seven and my sister was 11, our mother passed suddenly from, um, I call it a botched surgery. She had aneurysms in her head. She suffered from some migraines and they removed one. And I guess the second one they thought was fine. And that one burst and she did not recover from that. So before we unravel that, you may be wondering, where was your dad in all this? See, I told you we were going to get deep. We had, uh, well, he had an addiction to crack that kept him quite busy once he had gotten out of prison. Let's just say not long after I was born, my parents divorced. So when my dad first was um, out of prison, he met my mom pretty soon after, I believe, uh, I think he was like 22 or something like that. And um, they met each other and they had my older sister. And then four years later had me. And then I think within not even two years, they were separated. Now, my mother always had love for my dad, but with his addictions and the stuff that he was going through, my mom also had to be very diligent on what she surrounded us with. So I just want to keep that in mind. So let's cut back to her passing. I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was May 22nd, 1992. Sunny, beautiful day outside. I was playing a game called Hotbox with the neighbor kids, and I believe my sister was there too. Now, not that kind of Hotbox that you guys are all probably thinking, you little stoners out there, but the game with two bases where you throw the ball from one side to the other side, and the runners have to make it before the ball does. Kid shit, you know? Anyways, I am seven and my sister's 11 at this point. Cut to an ambulance shows up and it's the last time I can remember really seeing my mother alive. I will say I have flashes of a time when she was driven somewhere, but not sure when that was. Anyway, now this is not to say throughout my childhood and journey, I want to make clear that there are things that I may not remember. 
and may never remember again, to be honest. But I just look at that as my body's way of protecting itself. So if I'm meant to remember, I will. And if I'm not meant to remember, then so be it and let it be. I just remember that I felt it in my being that she wasn't coming back, at least not in the physical way, you know? So at this point, me and my sister were brought to my aunt's house. My aunt being my sister's, my mother's sister, sorry. And her um, husband's sister was also there at the time. And I remember them pulling us back into my aunt's room, shutting the door, sitting us on the bed and trying to hold it together. And they broke the news to us that our mom was gone. From that moment on, my sense of peace in childhood behavior, childlike nature just seemed darkened, you know, like a cloud had rolled over me. This cloud felt very much prevalent for many years to come. Something I am remembering too was at my mother's funeral, not only was there a moment of her casket falling out that my aunt had mentioned to me in the back of the hearse on the way to what I believe might have been the funeral, but I remember my dad being all kinds of messed up and starting a fire at the wake, I believe in the bushes outside with a cigarette or something like that. I don't even believe he remembers it, but I do remember. And it was quite an interesting time being that young, not knowing what the hell is going on or who you're even supposed to gravitate towards at that point, because who you normally gravitate towards aren't there anymore. The mother that you once gravitated to is no longer there. The father that you're supposed to gravitate to, you don't even really understand because he doesn't even understand himself. And then you're around a bunch of people that you don't fully even really know at this point, you know, but I will say inside when I went up to go see my mother and she was laying in her casket and I step up and I touched her and she felt so cold and I leaned in to kiss her thinking just like any kid would, you know, that you would bring life back. Kind of like one of them fairy tales, you know, but she never did. This was a seven-year-old who was experiencing death for the first time and she was experiencing that death of the closest person that she had ever known. I sat there and I was just thinking, she's gonna wake up, she's gotta wake up. I know she's gonna wake up, she's just sleeping. But she didn't. I could just feel that she was no longer inside that body and that she was gone. But I will say to this day, there are always memories of her with me. You know, I still on this day can have moments of feeling her or certain smells that make me think of her or memories of her big, huge blowout black hair that she always had, you know, 80s hair stuff, huge hair, made her much taller than my dad because my dad is not very, very tall and neither am I. So anyways, from that day forward, me and my sister went to live with my mother's sister, her husband and their four kids. Now, I just want to make a side note of this because I am going to get very deep into some serious conversation today. But I want you to know before I go any further, I will say I truly believe people try and do what they think is best with the cards they are dealt. And I will start with saying that my aunt and uncle were dealt an extremely, extremely heavy hand from when they were children to having four children of their own to my aunt losing her sister and all the things that she had to deal with with having two more kids in the household and whatever issues or anything that they had going on with their own 
marriage, but I will say they have always stuck it out. They are still together. And through all of the things that I'm going to go into speaking about, I will always have love for them. I will always be understanding that they had their own childhood traumas that they had to work through and that this is just my way of working through mine. And I know this a thousand percent. When it comes to any situation or person, including myself, these will not be easy shares. They will be hard to hear for some, but through acknowledgement, ownership and understanding and healing can begin. That is why it is so important to work through these adversities and not leave it up to the world to figure it out for you. Skeletons can only stay hidden for so long until you either come to terms with them or someone else will. Because those skeletons hold other people back from growth when they are some of part of some of those skeletons of others. Because remember, everything bleeds onto others. I hope that resonates well with you guys. This was never and will never be a bashing on anyone, but this is my truth and how I have viewed it, how I have seen it, and how I have become to heal. Now, cut to an upbringing of a lot of trauma. At seven, one parent passes and another battling addictions and demons of his own. And me growing up now in a household of eight people and with people who grew up extremely old school Italian, living with ancestral trauma carried down for lifetimes. What happens in the home stays in the home. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this Italian or not. Showing emotions was never received well, made people uncomfortable. I mean, I even remember my uncle one time apologizing when he lost his mother for crying in front of us. And I'm just like, please let it out, you know, but it just, it's how it was. It's what you know. And a lot of people, unfortunately, would rather stick with the devil they know than the devil they don't. Well, for me, I'd rather take the leap and jump off into the unknown where I know that there's some kind of sense of freedom than ever feel trapped in the ways in which I, I knew. So moving on, you had to be tough no matter what. Anything else made them uncomfortable. And for a child like me, who is an empath, who feels emotions, who is very expressing, I've never felt completely a part of things, which I've learned now is a great gift for me. And that is okay. But at the time, it kind of hardens up a shell on you, you know? I'm trying to figure out who I am, how I'm supposed to be, and what that even is. And you begin to take on the life of those around you when you're a child, especially at seven. You're like a sponge, just soaking up anything that is happening around you and then instilling it into what you think you're supposed to do in your life. And that's what I did. This led to an upbringing of physical, mental, and emotional trauma up until I moved out at 18, turning 19. But we'll say I carried with me for almost 20 years. Yes, something that I went through for what was it? About 10 years, I carried on for almost another 20. Now, during this period, I was still trying to have visits with my dad, who was still high on drugs, losing his mind, volatile to others, not ever me though, and just very destructive, like a freaking hurricane sometimes, you know, especially when it came to this one woman he was with after my mother. I remember an experience with my dad where he seriously lost his shit on one of our visits. He was, he went to go see this woman, I think at a house that they were living in at the time. And I just remember him chasing her around the house with a freaking bat. 
And it was just insane. And then next, I remember us getting into the car, him driving off like a crazy person. And I thought for sure we were going to go off this, this side little hill cliff. He just was losing it at the time. And it was scary, yes. But from a child's standpoint, you don't know how. I remember not knowing how to really take this in. I really didn't. I was almost like frozen in time. I will again say that he never laid his hands on me. And throughout all of this, he was the only person, though it's not saying much at this particular point, that said, I love you. Now, I know that that can sound like, oh, but in all honesty, when I look back, I love you was not an easy thing that I ever received from anybody. But it was always something that I tried to give to everybody. So with that, I lived a long time of not having boundaries, loving the wrong people, meaning friendship wise, people who weren't the best for me, just trying to make it always work and be everything I could to feel accepted. And I'm sure everybody can relate at one time or another in their lives. So anyways, visits became less and less until they didn't exist any longer. Shitty thing about it was, it was deal with an unstable drug addicted father or deal with getting beat up and verbally abused at a house we were now living in. Tough choices, huh, at seven? How to decide, didn't really have a choice. At this point in time, the choices were made for me, which is the case in a lot of child's lives. Now, I want to have you keep in mind that at the time, this all sounds terrible, but through all of that adversity, I truly have embodied so much power through this. All of these situations were not happening to me. These were just pains that were being inflicted on me from their own personal traumas that were left unhealed, which is why, again, it is so important to transmute this pain into power. For example, my dad from a young age was tossed around, thrown in prison at like 14 from getting jumped by some kids and he turned around later and tried to burn their house down. Now I know that this sounds extreme. When I first heard this story, I was shocked, but he was forthcoming with me about it. And that I couldn't fault him for. When I asked him stuff, he, for the most part, when it came down to it, would tell me the truth. And I just want to also make a point to the kids that they can't, you know, he said to me that he did what he did because he wanted the kids to know that they weren't allowed to just do that to him and get away with it. But that most of all, he said that the whole reason why he even took it to that point was, was because he wanted an apology. He just wanted them to apologize for doing that to him. Not to mention the fact that that fire took a lot further than he had anticipated. Now, I will say, besides some smoke inhalation, nobody was hurt. Thank God for that. But he was the first kid tried as an adult at 14. They got him on larceny. Now, we can look at this as a kid that is just fucked up or look at it from a higher perspective of what trauma response is happening here to cause such an outrageous response. Could it be ego and pride? I definitely think it could have played a role. Yes, needing that apology, that definitely is a pride thing. But what kind of coping skills did this kid have at this age? Talking about my father. What support system was in or not in his life? Same thing back to the type of father he ended up becoming. These are all great questions that when you really dive deep into, breaks down not just somebody being a bad seed, but trying to get an understanding of why the events occurred as such that they did. 
that helps me to better understand why the outcomes were what they were. Now, my father still lives in the same home he was raised in, and he will probably die there. And I have always kept in contact with him because his pain and traumas are not for me to tell him you can't be in my and my children's life if you're willing to make an effort. Because I believe effort means everything. And it goes a lot further with me than just ignoring and acting like nothing ever happened. Now, that got deep for a second there, but this is part of my life and my journey. These are just pieces. I've had many losses, whether that be family members growing up, you know, grandfather, um, aunts. Um, I had a friend that I went to school with when I was young throughout elementary school that passed away in an ATV accident, broke his neck. Another close friend who unfortunately hung himself during, I think it was like third period in high school. Um, because he thought he was going to get suspended. It's just like, these are all traumas that carry on that people don't, if they don't cope with or understand it or are able to talk about it, end up having a hard time dealing with the process of death or dealing with um, punishments that can come from going home or anything like that. I grew up in an environment where showing emotions was just not welcomed. Crying like was uncalled for. I've been beaten with videotapes, thrown into a garage door and had my groan plate and my finger broken, uh, face slammed into the floor because someone thought I spilled watercolor on the floor, um, to getting punched in the face for leaving with friends from a football game. And I'm at a point in my life where I have done so much forgiving, not for the people, but for myself. See, we must remember that when we are forgiving, someone or a situation that occurred, we are taking back what was taken from us in those moments. And you guessed it, it's our power. We take our power back. So many years people spent hurting, fearing, and trapping from stuff that happened five, 10, 20, or even 30 years ago. And we let it define us for so much of our life. It's like we never stop grieving, you know? But you can stop grieving. Hear me when I say this, no one person deserves to drain us of our happiness. Why do they get to impact our lives to a point where we don't even try to fully live what feel, what literally fuels our soul? That's what I mean when I say, turn that shit into power. Turn that pain into power, transmute it. Don't forget it, but change how it affects you. How I mean this is I can hate the people in the situations or I can look at how much I learn from it all. How much that anyone that can be hateful to someone else is dealing with a whole other level of insecurities and untapped potential and child traumas, ancestral trauma passed down from generation to generation. I can look back at my past and know that I have stopped those traumas and that they will not repeat in my household moving forward. Those are just skeletons to bear. Not They're theirs to bear, not mine. Want to know why? Because I have a face all of those skeletons. I have put the work in to see what these things have taught me and what I needed to learn from them. What I will and will not allow into my life. What I will tolerate and not tolerate. Loving with boundaries is okay. Self-care is so important and is okay to put yourself first. Now let's get it straight when I say this. I'm 37 years old, like I mentioned earlier. I have only just been able to do this in the last seven years. Now back to around the age I became, I think 12 at this point, I began cutting myself. 
can't remember how it came about. Just remember why I did. See, when you're having pain inflicted on you from so many angles, abandonment issues, and unable to release sadness with tears, and have no one you're allowed to let all this out to, you begin to find other ways to release. For me, that was cutting. Some may say it was for attention. I honestly can't say it wasn't. But I know for me, it was a cry for help, to be honest. It wasn't a matter of feel bad for me. It was a matter of I am suffering here and I need somebody to save me at this point. I wanted so badly for someone to save me, someone, anyone to accept me. And I'll tell you that a lot of years followed where I was seeking that validation from people that need from people until I realized uh, as one of my rock bottoms was no one's going to be there to save you. You got to be there to save you. And that's okay. Because once you're ready to be saved, things around you will appear that will help you to get through it one step at a time. And if you need tools, reach out because I will gladly help you with some tools that I've used for myself. And it involved a lot of empowering people being straightforward with me, giving me the time that I needed, but also giving me the time to also be like, okay, now what's next? So now, you know, that makes me think back to a guy my mother was seeing after my dad. I think, and I just adored this guy. He would just have this safe feeling to him, you know? And I think of him after sharing this because he always made me feel like someone. We would play air hockey. We would go to the store, just me and him. And I always felt safe with him. That to me, reflecting on it now, as I am speaking about this really was a rarity for me to have someone make me feel safe after my mom passed. He would say he would come by and I would wait at the bottom of the hill for hours for him to show. But eventually he had a daughter that got sick and he just stopped showing up. But that didn't stop me from going to the bottom of that hill every day because not only when I was at the bottom of the hill, nobody was bothering me, but I also felt like, please, someone's going to come save me, but they never showed. Now I see that was as if I was hoping he would come. And I had a night terrors up until I was my, had my first son at 22 night terrors up until I was 22. Shit. I even wet the bed until who knows how old I was as a kid. See, looking back on that, those things were embarrassing, I thought, but I look at it as those were trauma responses to traumas that I didn't know how to deal with, nor did I even understand I was going through. To keep myself, otherwise the world I was living in was so loud, you know, I was forced to be quiet looking back and the world I was living in was so loud, cruel, judgmental, and painful. I had family members who from time to time would let me sleep over, and I felt peace on those nights. And for that, I am forever grateful for those people. They know who they are. I do want to say that I'm not sharing this to have people feel some kind of way towards these people. That's just not what this is about, which is why I am so not using names, because it is more about the purpose and the understanding and the evolution for me that came because of it. Because again, let us not forget here, it's the unhealed traumas in life that bleed onto others and infect innocent bystanders until the cycle gets inevitably broken down and worked through instead of around with external things such as substances, alcohol, addictions, and so on. Because everybody, those are just temporary fixes. Whether people like to hear this or not, misery loves company. Always remember that. 
You are who you surround yourself with. If you want positive influence, then be a positive influence and have that surrounding you. You are not expected to save anyone in this world. The only thing we can do as a human being is save ourselves and then share the knowledge in which we learned and leave it up to the people who hear it to then be able to heal themselves. See, we are always a student and the teacher simultaneously. I will forever be learning and I will forever be sharing. Always remember that the day you think you know it all is a day you might as well check your pulse because honey, you have stopped living. So now let us get back to the cutting disorder. That went on for a long time until the day came where one morning before school, I did, I did it, I think, too much and I passed out on the floor. I came to and shared it with the high school counselor. Um, he was great too, but I always was afraid to tell him stuff because when it got back to my, my home life, I had hell to pay. They did not like anybody knowing anything, so it made it very hard for me to open up, but, you know, the school has to at that time go back and let the family know anyways I did end up going to lunch to talk about it with my aunt over chicken Caesar salad weird right I know how does she remember chicken Caesar salad detail I think the reason why I remember it is because it's one moment that I remembered that just me and her had shared and I remember her just asking me why and I remember it being so hard to tell her because your son makes me want makes me not want to live I didn't think I was gonna have emotions in this but a little bit huh So we were hitting 30 minutes in and it was about to end. So I am doing a whole nother set of recording. My goal is to keep this 45 minutes to an hour. Um, So I'm just going to carry on. So I just remember wanting to tell her so badly that your son makes my life a living hell. I'm sad. I'm alone. I'm hated. I'm unwanted. I just wanted her to accept me. So I didn't share. I will say shit wasn't always bad, at least not when it came to my aunt and uncle. There are good times there too. And I feel that if you can remember good times through all of that adversity, then also hold on to those too, because it lets you also know that these people aren't just out to hurt you, that it's really just stuff that they're they're just trying to figure it out. There's no rule book here on how to parent and how to handle things that happen in our lives. We just learn and acknowledgement is huge on learning and accepting what's going on. The only thing that's difficult with this situation is not acknowledging. And that's something that has been very difficult for them to ever do. Things that I have accomplished thanks to my aunt pushing me, like becoming a uh, finishing school for hairdressing, you know, becoming a makeup artist. You know, she helped me win uh, a runway show before we end up going to Vegas or stuff like that, to cooking, jokes. working for money, the work ethics from my uncle, trips I remember, always going off on my own though, always separated into myself. I just always remember being alone, except with my Dalmatian Pepper I had, and I named him Duca, even though his name was Pepper, and I found out down the road that Duca actually means suffering, which is interesting, but it's meaning in the Buddhist mind of suffering and how to pretty much transmute it into something positive. I actually have that tattooed on my back and I didn't even realize till after I got the tattoo, something was like, you know what, look it up. And when I did, I was shocked at what it actually meant. My goodness though, this dog, he was like my protector. He was always there for me up until I became pregnant with my oldest son, Shaden. 
And I swear he was sent here just for that to protect me. I can't tell you how many times he got involved in arguments and got turned on and they would end up going after him, the kids. Um, and I would still intercept. I did everything I could to help him though. He was my superhero. Now moving on last with the cutting disorder, I will admit after that incident, I changed my ways with that. And it's not something that I remember carrying on after. That was not a healthy way to handle things. So what I did next, I found ways to see my dad. Knowing he was selling pills at this stage of the game, I thought, well, maybe I could sell some to make some money too. You are going to gravitate towards what you learn around you. Whether it feels not right, it's a learning process. Until I decided to take a whole bottle one night and attempt to take my own life. All I can remember is, is taking the bottle, throwing it back, and then waking up. I don't even remember how, if it was days later, if it was daily, I can't remember. But I just remember waking up and I was like, did anybody know what just happened? If they did, nobody ever talked to me about it. Let me just put it that way. If I had my mom, Angel, someone looking over me, all I remember is is knowing like the bottle is gone. I know my dad was doing what he thought he knew to help me out. He always just wanted to try to make things right in the ways in which he knew, which to an outer perspective may not be right, but his earning way of money was hustling. That's what he knew. Whether he knew it was right or not, it was still what he knew. What do you know when you grow up your teenage years until you're in your early 20s in prison? You don't get educated. You don't learn how to talk to people. You learn how to take what you can, hustle where you can, and stand your ground by taking, by talking like a hard ass. Not to mention staying messed up to cope with in prison in the first place. These are not excuses, but facts. And trust me, I'm earning a bachelor's in the behavioral science and corrections because I believe that so many people who end up there end up there due to exactly this. Not learning how to cope with child traumas or um, untapped into mental illnesses or getting help. A lot of it stems from there. These are not excuses, but facts. And trust me when I say it, it has taken a lot of healing to get to this point of understanding. What has helped the most was asking the hard questions, getting real with the situations, but also just accepting people for where they are at in their journey and knowing that I can't change them. I can only hear them, try to guide them, but inevitably it's up to them to make the choices that they're going to make to either better their life or stay stagnant and comfortable. I thought for a lot of years I could save him. My aunt and my sister always hated him. My dad always hated my aunt. And for that, the division of me wanting to see my dad always made a line in the sand between my aunt and the family and my sister. Because to choose that as a kid is not fair, how I looked at it. He believes that to this day that my aunt lied to him and told him that when my mom died, her dying wish for, was for us to stay with her. I believe that whether that was true or not, and I told my dad this, he was not capable of taking care of us at the time, not even with housing down to food, bare minimum essentials. Either way, my upbringing was meant to be hard. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone through what I went through if it wasn't meant for me to transmute it. And that's what I'm saying here, guys, is that we are meant to transmute things. We go through things with the knowing and understanding that we can overcome it or it's gonna overcome us. I think we're at a point in our lives where we're ready to overcome it. 
See, I've had broken so many ancestral ties and during what I did, but either way, when it comes down to it all, the anger they all had towards each other inevitably bled onto me by, by all of them at one time or another. And I in turn started to bleed that onto others. They were all wrong for holding on to hate instead of going within and seeing what they can better within themselves. Because at the end of the day, whatever triggers us with a with a person to a point of anger should be the moment where you step back and ask yourself, what needs to be worked on within that I am perceiving this how I am? This has really helped me to take what I have been internalizing and let it out. As within, so without, right? If there is turmoil within you, then that's what will show up around you as you get older. When you are a child, that is a different situation as you are a magnet for other people's bullshit that they need to work through. And if they don't, as a child, I mean, unfortunately, you're a sponge of your own perception, whether that be distorted or not, will eventually squeegee out and pour onto those around around them as they get older until they either see what is bleeding out is from their upbringing or go through a hard stage that leads to a rock bottom moment or many rock bottom moments for that matter, which I have endured myself. See, I could just as easily take in any of this and just said, fuck it and become a bitter, old, hurtful, vengeful, hateful being. But I just couldn't. Not to say there aren't moments throughout my life because you will see there were plenty of of throw in the moment, um, throw in the towel moments. But no matter what, my ass kept getting back up. See, no matter what, I couldn't be kept down. Maybe for a count or two, but it was never permanent. That's a beautiful thing about life is pain doesn't last forever. Happiness can last forever if in those painful moments, you can step outside of it and see what it's actually teaching or what it's actually evolving you into. Eventually, it will kill you or it will make you want to see it differently. I chose to want to see it differently. So here I am now living it differently. Let let us not forget. I have moments and will always have moments, but those moments no longer own me. I own them and I work through them, not around them. I want this first episode to hone in on my child trauma and how it bled onto my life for many years to come. And in the next episode, I will talk about life in my later teens into adulthood and how when I moved here to Michigan, the whole new set of lessons and traumas I would endure and self-inflict. A whole nother path of sex, drugs, depression, and parenting, followed by an episode of how I ended up broke, homeless, and even addicted to some serious drugs on and off for a short while. But the ones that I ended up on were the finale ones. And that I am grateful for have gone through it because of where I am now today. These stories are deep, they're dark, honest, and that's what I promise to always be here to give you guys and why it is so important to work through these traumas because they will always resurface until you heal them. I have always said, I can't be here for you if you don't tell me the truth and a lie you have to remember the truth you don't. Don't be afraid to check in with yourself daily and say, how am I feeling today? Or write down, why is this triggering me? How, if you bring up something of the past of this person abused me, think and sit for a minute. How are you feeling when you are writing down that question? Because how you are feeling is going to determine how much it still holds on to you. If you look at it from a perspective where you're not crying or you're not angry anymore, then know that you have a better understanding of the why and you can move forward from it.
Until next time, everybody, I hope you enjoyed my first episode. I love you all. Namaste, everybody.